Father, thank you, Lord, that we can gather again, that we can fellowship with one another. It's a beautiful sight to see, Lord, when your saints are loving each other and caring for each other and just um, encouraging each other, Lord. And right now as we transition to getting into your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would help us, Lord, to be humble. As your word says in Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. May, w- may we tremble before your word. May we be in awe of you, Lord. May you continue to transform our lives and our hearts in conformity with you into the image of Christ. And so remove any distractions, Lord, today that would hinder us from seeing you, from loving you, from growing in our love for one another. So bless this message, Lord. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Never Forget Who You Are in Christ. Never forget who you are in Christ. Satan in Scripture is called the slanderer, the the accuser. He's called the devil. Diabolos is the Greek word, and it means one who makes charges against another to destroy. According to Acts 10.38, Satan oppresses people. According to 2 Timothy 2.26, he ensnares people, and he holds them captive to do his will. According to Ephesians 6.11, Satan schemes craftily in ways to deceive and lead people astray. Satan wants you, he wants me, to dwell on our past. He wants us to remember all the sin that we've committed in our past. He wants to recall that to our minds on a daily basis. He wants to also remind you of your present failures or shortcomings, those things that you're struggling with. He wants the children of God oppressed. He wants us downcast. He wants us dwelling on the past and even on those past, those, those glory days, if you will, those good moments like the children of Israel. Oh, remember Egypt. And they said, remember the leeks and the onions. I don't know why they would remember that of all things, but for those of you that like vegetables, maybe that's a great thing. Remember those days? Satan's knocking on the door of your heart. Remember the fun times? Remember how w- when you're struggling right now in the present, don't you, don't you remember all that fun stuff that you used to take part of? But he's very good at disguising or not reminding us of the emptiness, the futility, the sorrows, the pain that accompanied all those supposed good times. He's good at hiding that part. If you remember John 10.10, 10, this is what Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Christians are to have abundant lives. We're to have life to the fullest in Jesus Christ. We need to resist the devil. Scripture says resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist him? You need to be firm in your faith. You need to have strong faith. That's how you resist the enemy. It's not your own strength. It's not trusting in yourself. It's not, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and fighting the enemy from that vantage point. It's putting your faith and trust in Christ who's already defeated Satan. You need strong faith in him. Ephesians 6.16 says, Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. He's firing missiles at you on a daily basis. And if it's not him, it's his minions. It's the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. 
spiritual wickedness in high places, how do you extinguish these missiles? You need to have strong faith. How do you have strong faith? How do you grow your faith? You need to remember that God is good. You need to remember what God has done for you in Christ. You need to remind yourself of these things on a daily basis. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that's in you than he who is in the world. Jesus said he has overcome the world. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world. He's overcome Satan. He conquered sin and death on the cross. So what do we have to fear? We need to have more faith in him. Recently, I went to a 9-11 remembrance event in Boise. Uh, Eric was gracious enough to invite me and my family, and they had this 5K walk, which I don't, I think it was 5K, which I don't know how many miles that is, three miles or something. It felt like eight miles or so. I, I'm halfway there, and it was, I thought we were there at the halfway point, and I'm like, yes, okay, I'm sweaty, I'm a little tired, and uh, we were just halfway, and so praise the Lord, I made it through the walk, but we had the, and it's also because I bought the treadmill that I've bought for my son because he's so hyper to walk on, but actually I've been using it, and so walking through the neighborhood in the morning and then in the afternoon walking on the treadmill, getting back into shape. The police chief spoke at this event. The fire chief spoke. The mayor spoke. Uh, we had a moment of silence. It was a special time. These planes or jets flew over. That was kind of a surprise. We weren't expecting that. And it, you could feel the emotion there, in the, uh, not in the room. We were outdoors. But you could, you could almost feel the emotion of this event. And then you had my kids tugging on our pant legs saying, what's 9-11? <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> What's this event all about? My son Leland, he's eight. He, I don't even know if we've really explained that to him. So here we are in the moment kind of trying to explain it, not sharing too much. How much do we share? And so we don't want to forget these things, right? We need to remember our history, the history of our nation, the history of what happened on 9-11. I was listening to some of the, there's a page online that was part of this event and they were playing back some of the phone calls from the airplanes back to family members or family members calling people in the airplanes like you know a mom frantically begging her son on the airplane like if you're getting this message like I guess your plane's been hijacked do something try to do something about it um, okay have a nice day and just not knowing what to say just knowing that these planes maybe are going down and listening to the 911 calls and all of that all the emotion but I always ask the question why you know, and maybe that's just innate to my nature. I don't know. But if I'm going to an event, like, why? Or what's the purpose? What's the purpose of listening to this? What's the purpose of remembering? At one point, I think it was the mayor. She said, when you're going on the walk, just remember those people that died in those towers. Or remember the people that suffered in those towers. And, and Leah kind of looked at me like, is that all I'm, I want to remember? Like, as I'm walking, just remember that people died. You know, what, what, what does that do? Okay, I'm walking and people died. And, and how horrific. No, there, there needs to be more than that, right? Remember the people that sacrificed their lives for others. Remember the hundreds of firemen that raced into that building to lay down their lives for others. Remember the police officers. Remember the EMTs. Remember the, the people maybe that went back in knowing that perhaps it was going to cost them something. Maybe they didn't even know it would cost them their lives, but it did. Remember those courageous acts, and then that should then cause us 
to then live courageous lives as well. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than to lay down your life for your friend. So we, we want to take things from this history. We, we don't just want to learn it for the sake of learning it, remember it for the sake of remembering it. We want to do something about it. And some people take the wrong things from it, I believe. Well, well that happened, and that, look what, that was terrorism, so let's, let's go fight now. Okay, well, okay, self-defense and whatnot, and we can talk about all those things. That's not really what this message is about. But we want to make sure that when we're remembering these things, then we're filtering them through a God-given lens, through the scripture. What do I take from this? What am I remembering from this? And now what am I to do about it? You know, many in our country, they're either forgetting American history or they're, they're not teaching it to the next generation. If they are, it's this confuddled history in the schools are pushing different things with agendas and LGBTQ or wokeism and all these different things instead of just teaching American history and all the triumphs and all the warts and all of it. Just teach it, right? And so we need to, though, appreciate, and this is what I want to teach my son, we need to appreciate those who have given their lives for us so that we can have the comforts and the freedoms that we have today. It just it didn't just happen like this. You, we just wake up in America and we're thankful. We're thankful that we can meet right now. It's not like this in other countries. I met with an Indian pastor earlier this week and he was showing me pictures of people on his phone that are in prison back in India. He showed me a video of a pastor that was recently b- beaten and had blood all over his shirt. He goes, people went right in with clubs as he was preaching and started beating him. He goes, I've had people shot and killed. He goes, I'm ready to die for the Lord. And it's, um, it's foreign to us here. And if, if we don't remember our history, we could just take this for granted. Oh, just another day at church. Just get together, not realizing what people have gone through so that we can have these freedoms. Our text for today is Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn over there with me. Colossians chapter 2, 10 through 15, and this is the correlation. Paul is talking about the Christian's history. He's talking about our testimony. He's talking about the freedoms that were purchased for us, the spiritual freedoms that we now have in Christ. And it's this synopsis that Paul gives in Colossians 2, 10 through 15 of every Christian's testimony. It's this short reminder to the Colossian church and to us as well of what Christ has done in your life, in my life, in all of our lives. And then he does this to then transition in verse 16 when he says, therefore, and that'll be a teaching for a later day, to where he says, therefore, this is why I'm explaining these things, Colossians. This is why I'm reminding you of who you are in Christ so that people don't take you captive, so that people are going to come along and say, Try this tradition, try this religion, try this philosophy. Don't taste, don't touch, don't do this. And he's like, don't you know who you are in Christ? There's a purpose in remembering these things. We want to never forget our Christian roots so that we can give thanks to God. We can honor him as we should and and so that we can be strengthened in our faith and that we can have a rock-solid identity in Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and read the text. Colossians 2, 10 through 15. It says, and in him you have been made complete. And notice it's pretty much this entire text, these six verses, it's all in the past tense. You have been made, you were. You're going to see that phrase a lot in these short verses, six verses. And in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. 
And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. It was said of John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, Prick him anywhere, and you will find that his blood is biblane. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his soul is full of the word of God. I love that. Prick John Bunyan anywhere, he's going to bleed the Bible. He's always preaching the Bible. He's always talking about scripture. He's always got a text on his heart and on his mind. That's, that should be true of us as Christians should be so full of the word of God that it's just coming out in our lives. I was listening to a, um, an interview with a popular Christian music artist, and in the comments, and this, I was like two minutes in, and sometimes I read the comments before I finish these videos. I want to see what people have to say, and some people were saying, number one, she's not a Christian, and number two, look, in 25 minutes, she doesn't bring up Jesus once. She doesn't talk about the Lord once. She doesn't talk about the Bible once. Now, we don't want to be legalistic. I'm not saying if you're talking to me, for five minutes, ten minutes, I'm always like thinking, I need to bring up Jesus. I mean, we need to have Jesus always on our lips. I want to give grace. I mean, maybe they're just talking about traveling and her life and her family. We want to, we don't want to be legalistic here, but if, if we're talking for an extended amount of time and we're never mentioning Jesus, we're never mentioning what he's done for us, we're never mentioning his word, we're never giving thanks to him, you have to wonder what are we meditating on day and night if it's not coming out of us at all, right? With John Bunyan, it was Bible. I think if you prick the Apostle Paul anywhere, you're going to get Christ. The Apostle Paul bled Christ. It was all about Christ. He, he said, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I preach Christ. I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He suffered for Jesus Christ. He longed to be with Jesus Christ. He labored to present every man, every person complete in Christ. And he would never let a person forget who they were and who they are and what Christ has done for them. You could argue that this church in Colossae, like many of the other churches in the New Testament, was on the verge of an identity crisis. As I was thinking through it this morning, here they are, young in the faith, some scholars say the church started in around 55 A.D. Here it's around 60 A.D. It's toward the end of the Apostle Paul's life. He's writing from a Roman prison. He's putting out the book of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and the, these prison epistles. And he's writing these letters, Philippians and such, and he's pouring out his, his heart to these churches. He's saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of my faith for you guys. He wants them to know Christ, to be secure in Christ, to know that their identity is found in Christ, 
no longer to be on the milk, but to be on the meat, like he tells the Corinthian church. It's as if they're in spiritual puberty. They're, they're like unsure of who they are. So they got, some of them have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. He's, Paul's saying you need to go full out. Everything for Jesus Christ. Be secure in him. Be established in him. Steadfast in him. Immovable in him. That's Paul's plea for these churches. How many of these churches could say like Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. These are, these are f- verses that speak of Paul's security in Christ, his identity in Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I have the desire, Paul says, to depart, to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Philippians 1, 23. Who could say that in these churches? How about more than that? I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish. You put it on a scale. Paul says, here's my past life. Here's Jesus Christ. It's all rubbish. It's all nothing. I don't, it, it, it doesn't compare the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. That's everything. He goes on to say, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he lists out all this, uh, these amazing things that he did in his past life. He goes, I was surpassing all of my countrymen. I, I was trained under Gamaliel. I was like rising to the top. I persecuted the church of God. I was more zealous than many of those who were in the Pharisaical sect. I had the whole Old Testament basically memorized. And I said, it's all loss. All the money, all the wealth, all the fame, doesn't matter compared to Jesus Christ. That's security in Christ. That's someone who knows their identity. That's not someone who's waffling around being tossed to and fro. That's someone who sees right through the chicanery and the false teaching and the false philosophies and these false teachers. He sees right through them. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. He wants the churches. He wants us to have that same mindset to have our identities in Christ, to be so secure in him that nothing in this world can throw us off of knowing Jesus Christ. And so as these churches are being polluted with false doctrine, he's going to hammer over and over again on knowing Jesus Christ. It's not about a job. That's not where your identity or my identity is found though many in America, many around the world, that's where their, their identity is. Where you work, in a job, in a spouse, where you live, in your possessions, how much money you make, maybe some traditions you hold to, maybe some special knowledge, maybe the person you know, whatever it is, Paul says, no, that's not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. Christ, Christ, and more Christ. That's Paul's message. I want to give you seven encouraging reminders today for the forgetful Christian. I see seven reminders for us here in these six verses. Number one, never forget this, that you have been made full. Verse 10, in him you have been made complete. The Greek word is pleiroo. It means to be full, to be full to the capacity, to fill to capacity. The same Greek word used in Colossians 1.9, pleiruo, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The same word complete is used in Ephesians 5.18. 
Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled, pleruo, be, be complete in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with him. Also, Ephesians 3.19, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. He says, when you received Christ, Christ filled you. You've been made complete, but now be filled more and more. You've been saved, the scripture teaches, but hold fast to eternal life or cling to eternal life. Take hold of it. There's a future salvation that awaits us. You've been saved, now there's a future salvation. You've been sanctified, yet pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You've been made complete. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. Now pursue sanctification. You have come to know him, yet grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be filled with more knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Saying Colossians, look, you don't need anything else. If you're full and complete in Christ, all these false teachings that are coming your way are nonsense. No secret pill, no secret teaching, no secret knowledge. It's not Christ plus anything. It's Christ plus nothing equals everything. Remember that. Christ plus nothing equals everything. It's all Jesus Christ. Have you ever eaten, have you ever eaten so much that you were so full, you're like, I can't eat anything else. Maybe, I thought of Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, too much pie. I used, I used to eat so much pumpkin pie that I don't like, I could still eat it. If you gave me pumpkin pie, give me anything sugar or carbs, I'll still eat it, but I've, I ate so much pumpkin pie in the past that it's almost like I can't do the pumpkin pie anymore because every Thanksgiving, that's what my grandparents would have, turkey, stuffing, and pumpkin pie. And I would stuff down the stuffing and the turkey and the pumpkin pie. And if I didn't fall asleep on the table right there, I'd slowly mosey over to the couch, fall over on it, and that was that. It didn't matter who was playing, by the way. I love sports, love the 49ers, don't really follow them as much anymore. It didn't matter if the 49er game's on, I'm usually I'm fighting to keep my eyes open. And as I'm walking to that couch, if you were to give me the best piece of food it doesn't matter what it is I'm not taking it I'm full there's no more eating and perhaps you can relate to that that that's an illustration of what Paul is trying to say to these Colossians be so full be filled with the spirit be filled with Christ continue to fill yourself with him you don't want anything else you don't need anything else you don't want anything else you just want more of him and when people are bringing these things your direction you're going to see right through it it's going to nauseate you Be filled with Jesus Christ. Be complete. You are complete. Continue to be complete in him. And then he throws in right at the end of verse 10. Oh, and by the way, he's the head over all rule and authority. It's almost as if he just kind of snuck that in. I'm thinking, okay, if you guys didn't catch all of chapter one, maybe you fell asleep just to keep with that illustration for a minute and you didn't see chapter one how he's, by, for by him all things have been created, rulers and authorities, all things, he's created them, he's over them, he's the preeminent one. And by the way, just so you guys know, you're complete in Christ, who's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he's head of all rule and authority. And then he moves on to his next point. Number, number two, don't forget, you've been circumcised. Verse 11. And you say, wait, number two is I've been circumcised. What do you mean I've been circumcised? 
I haven't been circumcised. Scripture says right here, you were also circumcised, don't stop there, with a circumcision made without hands. Wow, that's clear. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is a spiritual verse. The whole verse is spiritual. All the Old Testament shadows, including outward circumcision, were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul told the Galatian church in Galatians 6.15 about outward circumcision. He said this, Neither circumcision is anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is what matters, having a new heart. A transformed heart, being a new creation. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision in Christ. It's about having a circumcision inside. When you remember Stephen, as right before he was stoned to death, the first martyr that we have in Acts chapter 7, it says in verse 51, he, Stephen looked at them and he said, you stiff-necked men who constantly resist the Holy Spirit, he says, you are uncircumcised of the heart. Oh, you may be circumcised. You, you, may, you might be keeping many laws and many traditions and you might know the Old Testament law, but you are uncircumcised of the heart. You have a dead heart. You have a hard heart. You do not have a transformed heart. You need to be a new creation. That's what matters, and that's what Paul is saying here. If you're a Christian, you've had a circumcision, and it's a circumcision of your heart, a transformed life. Paul warns in Philippians chapter 3, the first three verses, of the false circumcision. And he wants to remind the Philippians of what it means to be of the true circumcision. And he reminds them, Read through all of Paul's epistles. He's reminding them. He's reminding us. He says, finally, my brethren, to write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If any man has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And I just want to keep quoting it because it's a beautiful text. It's one of my favorite texts in the Bible, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, beware of these evil workers who are coming in and saying you must be circumcised to be saved, who are saying that you're missing out on something unless you're circumcised. No, we're the true circumcision those who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Let nobody rob you of that. If you worship Jesus Christ, if you have a transformed heart, if your faith is in him and you've turned from your sins, that's what it means to be a true worshiper of God. Don't let anyone rob you of that. It's as if this outward circumcision was in Paul's day a, a real means of boasting. I mean, today it's like, really, you're going to boast about that? You're going to boast about circumcision. I, I envision them think, saying, you, you want to have your man card? You want to be part of the, the man club? Have you been circumcised? They're sitting there watching their chariot races or whatever it was saying, hey, man, I've been circumcised. And Paul's like, this is so foolish. Like, what? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you had a circumcision of the heart. That's what matters. That's why he says, you foolish Galatians. Like, you fools, Paul says. You, who has bewitched you? 
Who's cast a spell over you? How can you turn from knowing Jesus Christ, having the Holy Spirit, the Spirit poured forth in your life, experiencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, the power of God within you, and now you want to go get circumcised and you think you need that to be saved? How foolish. How foolish. So Paul says in verse 11, have you had this true circumcision which leads you to put to death the deeds of the body? Colossians 3, 5. This is what a true circumcision looks like. Put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body, immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire, greed and idolatry, the things that once ruled you, the things that encompassed your entire life, the things that you chased after. Paul says, now that you've been circumcised in the heart, now that you've had a spiritual heart surgery, these don't define you anymore. These you are to put to death. Just like they cut off the foreskin, you cut these things out of your life now. That's what God did through you when he circumcised your heart through Jesus Christ. He removed that old man. It's a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. It's a beautiful verse. It's fulfilled in us. That's an Old Testament scripture, Deuteronomy 36. When the law was instituted, the actual circumcision, which has great meaning in the Old Testament to show that the Israelites were to be separate from the people around them who were unclean. And we have this in the Old Testament saying, no, this, this is what's really behind this. Circumcision is a symbol. It's a shadow. The real substance is found in Jesus Christ. And many today are going back to the shadows. They're going back to the lesser than. The same mistakes that we're seeing in the New Testament are happening today. Scripture says nothing is new underneath the sun. Point number three, third thing to never forget. You've been buried. Verse 12, you've been buried having been buried with him in baptism. Paul's continuing this argument. There's some overlap here. He says, you've been buried. That's where your old man is, is Colossians. Your old man is in the ground. You put your faith in Christ. You buried that old man. Forget about him. Leave him in the ground where he belongs. That's what you and I said when we were baptized. We go under that water. We're saying we're leaving that old man there. We're identifying with Christ who was in that tomb. Three days, three nights. So there's that old man in the water. You come out of that water. That's now signifying new life, new direction, a new heart, new desires, a new family, a new future, a new fulfillment and abundant life in Jesus Christ. We don't baptize people and just keep them under the water. Pull them out of the water. And that's one of the most exciting times. I love pulling people out of the water and just seeing the excitement on their faces and the joy and the smile. And I say, never forget this moment. This is a symbol of your new life in Christ. It's refreshing. You're coming out of the water. Maybe the sun's out and it's just like, praise the Lord. Leave that old man there. Remember that. If you've been baptized, remember that day. Remember the joy you had. Remember the excitement. Remember that celebration. Remember that unity that you had with Christ. As the Lord says in Revelation, repent from where you have fallen. Return to your first love. Even marriage is like a symbol 
right? All these symbols throughout the scripture. And sometimes even in our relationships with our spouses, we need to remember that. Remember that wedding day? Remember those goosebumps, the butterflies? Remember, remember that time when you were courting or dating each other and you just had such love? Get back to that. Get back to that with the Lord. And remember that you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, it's Christ who now lives in you. Put that old man to death. Leave him in the ground. Now Paul elaborates on this teaching on how baptism is related to the death of Christ. Romans 6, 1 through 4. I want to read you this text. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like or just hear me. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Christ died for sin. We are to die to sin. Baptism is a symbol of the death that we died to sin. It no longer has power or should have power in our lives. Romans 6.11, even so consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I sometimes use the phrase, if someone tells you, you're dead to me. Hopefully no one's ever said that to you, but if they have, you're dead to me, or you've said that to someone. You're saying, you no longer exist. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not going to think about you. I'm deleting you from my phone, my Facebook, whatever. You're dead. You are to say that, I believe, is what the scripture is saying, to sin. You're dead to me, old man. You've been buried. I'm deleting you from my life. And the moment you try to get back up, no, I'm putting you to death. It's a daily battle through the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I'm walking by the Spirit. And I'm not gratifying the desires of the flesh. You've been done with. You're dead. Time to move on. Time to live the life, the abundant life in Jesus Christ and move forward in him. And we have that power through the Holy Spirit in us. He's granted us all things, all power, all godliness, according to the power that mightily works within us it's a very important point you know one time I was baptizing in California Silver Strand Beach I think it was called and we went to dunk the water was cold and we didn't want to go out too far and get too wet and so I looked down and it was kind of shallow but the guy that I was baptizing with he, he went for it so I went for it and we put the guy down in the water but we only got like half of his body wet and half of his face and he kind of like didn't want to go back and we pulled him up and I'm like no <laughs> like no that, we need to go back down and the other guy was like yeah well, we need to put him back down and so we put him back down and in our force we put him back down so far we could barely pull him back up so we kind of like overcompensated for the first mistake but that's okay we wanted him to know look this you're messing up the symbol here if you don't go all the way under you need to go all the way under, okay? Because you, you're saying your past life is dead, okay? All of it. It's all, it's all been crucified with Christ. So we went down, we pulled him up, and praise God, that didn't pull out my back. But that is a symbol that we have been buried 
with Jesus Christ. In this whole passage, Paul is showing the union that we have with Christ. And he continues on to number four. Never forget that you've been raised up. You've been raised up, verse 12, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Romans 6, 5 says, If we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we see this union. Christ's life is your life. Christ's death is your death. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. Christ is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The scripture says you have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Jesus is going to have rule and authority. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's going to rule. We're going to rule with him. He's been given the inheritance of all things. The scripture says you have inherited all things. He's going to judge the world. The scripture says you are going to judge angels. You are going to judge the world. All throughout the New Testament, we see the unity, the union that we have with Jesus Christ. It's this beautiful thing, and that's what Paul is reminding the Colossians and us today as well. And he's reminding them that you have been raised up. You're no longer in that pit. Your old man's in that pit, but you now, the new man, has been raised up. Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. The same power, the same power that Jesus used, the Holy Spirit within him to do the miracles he did, to calm the storms, to walk on water, to heal the sick and raise the dead, and that raised him from the dead lives in us? That's amazing. That's an amazing reality of Scripture that many Christians, I think, we don't remember this. Or if we do remember it, we don't really take hold of it. It's like, man, I'm fighting the same sin. Oh, I'm stumbling in the same thing. I'm not fighting the fights I should. I'm not on the battlefield as I should be. I'm on the sidelines. I'm, I'm just living a defeated life. I'm always depressed. And the Lord's saying, push forward. Press on. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. He has given you eternal life. He's saved you. And he is going to give you an immortal, imperishable body says in Philippians 3.21 that Christ will transform the bodies of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things unto himself. The powers working in and through us and through the Holy Spirit and one day we're going to have a new body transformed by the power it says of Christ. The exertion of the power that Christ has. Do we tap into that power? It's like we're trying to go through life many of us, at times, on our own. We say we believe. We say that we have the Holy Spirit. We say that we have faith. But when it's played out in our lives, it doesn't look like that. Ask and it shall be given. Do you seek and you will find? Knock and the door will be opened to you. Keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking, keep pleading until it's yours. Paul tells Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Go at it with everything, Timothy. Don't sit back. This isn't a passive thing that we're a part of. Every morning when my daughter, Mercy, wakes up, this morning included, she puts her little face right underneath the door crack and she says, Daddy, Daddy, 
not once, not twice, not 20 times. It must be a 100 to 150 times. I want to record it one of these days and just play it for you. She is persistent. And when we moved into this house, the doors get stuck in this house. 12 years later, it's like a 12-year-old house. Somehow, you know, the heat and the cold and whatever it is, I don't know, doors droop. And the doors, some of the doors in the house, you got to really push them open and you really got to pull them shut. And her door's the worst in the whole house. And when we first moved in, we were all frustrated about it. And, oh, I can't believe this door. And I'm going to have to fix it and take it off. And I said, whatever, I'm just going to leave it. Well, now it's the best thing because she's the only one that can't open a hard door in the house. She's two years old. So she goes to that door every morning and tries to pull on it, and she can't. And I'm like, this is awesome. I wouldn't get a lock on the door. So now she tries to open it. She can't. She is stuck pleading with me. And I just I make her plea, and I make her wait. And almost regularly, I'm reminded of that woman in Luke 18 where she's pleading with that judge. And the Lord says, look, she goes to this judge who doesn't even know the Lord, and she goes, grant me my verdict, grant me my verdict, grant me my, and he finally, the text says, she, he, he gets so annoyed, it actually uses a Greek word that means to get a black eye. She annoys me so much, I said, fine, you get your verdict, you get whatever you want, just get out of the courtroom, don't bug me anymore, it's yours. And that's my daughter, and th like I said, 100, 150 times, daddy, 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 and then I open that door, and she's so excited, she's jumping up and down, she's ready to run out of the room, and just embrace the day. That's so sweet to see. And the Lord's saying, be persistent. Be persistent. Don't let a two-year-old outdo you in your prayers to the Lord. Lord. Be persistent. Okay, Lord, here I am again. The same sin I'm struggling with, the same thing I'm frustrated with. Lord, I need your grace. I need your power. I'm pleading with you. That's how we need to be. That's the image that God wants us to pursue. So God is a compassionate father. And the fifth point is he's made us alive. Three more points. Never forget that he has made you alive. Verse 13, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him. I believe Paul's saying, Colossians, you didn't make yourselves alive. Okay? You weren't pursuing God. You don't get credit. God gets all the credit. It's not like 80% God and 20% you. It's not like he gets credit for most of your salvation, but you get to boast about some things. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't say, look at all these great things I've done. That's why you've accepted me, Lord. Paul says, no, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were the wages of sin is death. You, you were entrenched in your sin in the muck and mire and God plucked you out. He saved you. It's all his grace. He pursued you. Our compassionate father had his eyes set on you to save you and his call is to the whole world. I love in the scripture the prodigal son, how the father runs out to him. I love that picture. Men didn't run in robes back then. This father doesn't care. He's running out. He's running to embrace his son. He puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. He gives him a new name in Christ. He says, this son of mine was dead. He's come to life again. He was lost and has been found. What mercy, what love, what grace. That's you and I. We're dead, but we're found. The father has run and embraced us. He's thrown a party, if you will. 
If one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. I used to sing a song growing up and I still hear it sometimes as I'm playing these Christian songs for my kids and it goes alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah. Maybe you've heard it. Sing hallelujah. My Jesus is alive. Praise God he's alive. He's risen. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. We're alive in him. Don't forget that. We have spiritual life. We have eternal life because of him. We have his Holy Spirit living in us. So sing hallelujah to that and give him praise because we are alive. Point number point number six. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Verse 13 and 14. Having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. It's been said the enemy wants to define you by your scars. Jesus wants to define you by his. I love that saying. Look at his scars. Don't focus on your sin. Don't focus on your scars. Focus on his scars and what he's done for you. He hasn't forgiven you of some sin or many sins. He's forgiven you of all sin. It's once been said that a person approached a theologian and said, I'm haunted by my past. The theologian responded, you're haunted by your past. What do you do about it? The person said, I pray. I pray and I ask for forgiveness. The theologian said, you're going about it all wrong. Go back to God and pray again. Don't ask him to forgive you for the sin that has haunted you. This time, ask him to forgive you for not receiving the forgiveness which has been given to you already in Christ and get back on the battlefield. Isn't that many of us? He's already forgiven us. We've gone to him before. Lord, forgive me of this. It's, it's coming back into my mind. Forgive me again. And it's time to just say he has forgiven me. He's forgiven me of all my transgressions. Not some, not many, all. It's time to move on. It's time to press forward. It's time to press into Christ, to forget what lies behind, to reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of God in Christ Jesus. We are in a battlefield. Satan does want to recall your past. He does want you to live there. He does want you to feel this constant guilt and misery about your sins so that you'll be on the sidelines. You won't be in the game. He wants us in the game. He wants us to know we're loved. He wants us to know we're forgiven of all transgressions, paid in full. Verse 14 says, having canceled out, it means to be blotted out. It actually means to be obliterated. Ex alifo is the Greek word there, canceled out. Ek meaning holy out from. Alifo meaning to remove totally, to obliterate, to cancel. There was these decrees against us. The Old Testament said the soul who sins shall die. Anyone here never sinned? We're all guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Old Testament cries out guilty. And that's God's law. And God holds up his law and it's a pure law. It's a good law. And rightly so, he brings down the hammer and he says to all creation, guilty. And what Paul's saying here is, yes, guilty, but now canceled. That was nailed to the cross. Christ became a curse for us, the scripture says in Galatians. 
Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was as if we were cursed. It was as if all of creation is under the curse of sin and death. No hope, excluded from salvation. And Paul says, now that's been nailed to the cross of Christ. It's been canceled out. It's been obliterated. All those laws and decrees that told you you're guilty, no, you're now set free. Paid for and bought by Jesus Christ and his precious blood. Never forget that. To tell us die. It's finished. It's a done deal. Paid in full. Completed. Canceled. That's true freedom. Yes, we have freedoms in this country. Yes, we have great comforts and many things to rejoice of. Don't rejoice more than anything. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have freedoms in Christ. Rejoice that your sins have been blotted out. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be giving thanks because we have victory. We've been saved. We're secure in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places. And last point, number seven, never forget that the enemy has been shamed and triumphed over on the cross. Verse 15 Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Triumphed, it's the same Greek word. It's used in 2 Corinthians, where it talks about this general who's leading this triumph. And I've talked about it a couple weeks ago when I gave a teaching on this and how he would have all his captives, have his enemies tied up and bound and he would be walking in front of them as he's gloriously conquered them and triumphing and people are shouting out, victory, victory. And Paul's saying that's what happened on the cross. From the outside, it looked like here's this poor Jewish man being humiliated and crucified and what a pathetic ending. And Paul says, no, it's actually all reversed. He's the conqueror. He's the victor. He put them to public shame and he's triumphed over them. And that's your victory, Paul's saying. That's your union in Christ. You have victory over the enemy. You don't need to fear him. You give the enemy way too much credit. He's been conquered on the cross. He's been disarmed of any power that he has over you. Recently, my kids were playing in this little jungle gym in the backyard, and I said, if you're in there, you're, you're safe. I was chasing them around the backyard, and they kept running back to this, I don't know what it's called. If you come over to my house, you'll see it, this little climbing thing, and it's a circular, and they, they run into it. And I'm like, darn, I can't get into it. I'm too big and it's little triangles that I got to sneak through and feel like I'm going to pull my back out trying to get in there. And so I try to get in there to get him and I, and I use it as like a little teaching time. I said, this is like Jesus. If you're in him, you're safe, okay? Once you get out there, I'm going to chase you. I'll probably tackle you and tickle you all. But you get in here, you're good. And that's who we are in Christ. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch you out of Christ's hand. If you're in him, there's like a force field around you. You're safe in him. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him. They overcame Satan. They conquered Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of his testimony and their testimony. They did not love their lives even 
to death. That's our testimony, clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ where we have victory. So in closing, I imagined a Colossian Christian maybe saying to Paul, but Paul, perhaps there's, there's some fulfillment, right, in this secret knowledge. I mean, just a little bit, Gnosticism. I mean, these teachings are amazing, Paul. You really got to listen to them. These false teachers, they're, well, they don't call them false teachers, but these teachers, Paul, they're really bringing in some really cool teachings. Paul says, no. You've, be, you've been made complete in Christ. You're full in Jesus Christ. Christ is everything. And perhaps another Colossian Christian says, but Paul, I need to be circumcised. They're saying I need to be circumcised to be saved or I need to be circumcised to fit in. And Paul says, no, you've been circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands. You have a new heart. You're a new creation. You don't need that. Christ is everything. But Paul, maybe maybe just a little sin will fulfill, right? I mean, it's not going to hurt anyone. Just a little to which Paul says, you've been buried with Christ. That's your old man. You've been crucified with Christ. Put the old man to death. Christ is everything. But Paul, I still feel like I'm in the pit though. Like my new man feels like I'm part of the old man and I'm, I'm still in the pit and I'm in despair and I, I'm depressed and I'm downcast. And Paul says, you've been raised up with Christ through faith. Christ dwells in you. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory, death? You've been raised with Jesus Christ who conquered. And then another Colossian Christian comes by and he says, but Paul, was I really that bad? I mean, did I really sin that much? I mean, I'm, I think I'm pretty good, Paul. To which Paul responds, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead. You were in the muck and the mire. You were in the pigsty. You weren't kind of bad. You weren't a little bad. You didn't sin a little bit. You were dead. And God made you alive. Remember, God snatched you out. He gave you a new heart, new mind, new desires, a new family. Live for him. Jesus Christ is everything. To which finally one final Colossian Christian perhaps says, but Paul, I mean, I've, I've done some really bad things. I mean, you don't know me, Paul. Look at my, if I shared my testimony with you, I mean, I've done some really, really bad things. Are you sure that Christ can forgive me of everything. To which Paul says, we've been forgiven. Paul then transitions in verse 13 and 14. He says, us. He was saying you. You, you were dead and, and Christ has done this for you. And now, now Paul includes himself. We've been forgiven of all of our transgressions. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. You can't outdo my testimony. If he's forgiven me, he can forgive you. He who's forgiven much loves much. Take the sin and all the things that you've done in your life and cling to the grace and love and the mercy of our Lord. Be filled in him. Know that you're forgiven. Know you're loved. Live in the freedom of Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Set your gaze on him. Live for him. Amen.